Welcome everyone to the podcast Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. This is a podcast where we talk about tough theological and Christian living questions sent in by people just like you. Our hope is that listening will strengthen your confidence in God's Word, helping you to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. If you have any questions, please send them to questionsforpastortim at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Unanswered Questions with Pastor Tim Cole. Today the question is, was it God's intention for the wife to be a helpmate for her husband? That's a question we'd like to tackle this afternoon. Because uh, perhaps if you're like me, growing up I heard the phrase constantly, heard it in church, heard it at weddings when the conductor of the wedding referred to the wife. I heard it in Bible studies, radio broadcasts, and on and on. And in fact, I still hear it today. I hear women referred to as a helpmate. It's very churchy language. I don't hear it uh, too often apart from church conditions, but that's the context, it seems, where it's freely bantered back and forth today. We're asking, is that what God intended for the woman or for the wife? Did God intend for a woman to be a helpmate? Did God intend the wife or the woman to be a helpmate to her husband or to her boss? Uh, I wasn't sure what that phrase meant exactly, but it sounded to my ears growing up as something qualitatively inferior and unequal in comparison to a superior person. If you're a helpmate, you are sort of perhaps like a plumber's help, a carpenter's help. The carpenter does the real job, and the helper runs and gets supplies. You might call that person a gopher, one who goes and picks up supplies for the plumber or for the carpenter. I wondered where that phrase came from, because as I searched the scripture, it did not exist. Nowhere in all of the scripture does God ever refer to the woman as a helpmate or the wife as a helpmate. But I thought, surely, since it's used so much in church circles, especially by church leaders, that it's got to be based on Scripture somewhere. But, of course, uh, a search of the Scriptures and a concordance shows that that's not the case. The Bible never, ever refers to a woman as a helpmate, and we should not do either. We should not ever refer to a woman as a helpmate because it's simply not based on Scripture. But I suspect that the phrase may have arisen from a sloppy reading or a misreading of the phrase in Genesis 2.18 and verse 20, where the text says, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a help meet for him. Meet as M-E-E-T. That translation came out in 1611 in the authorized translation. Meet in that day meant corresponding to. Someone who was equal to and corresponded to something else or someone else. So the phrase, I will make a help meet for him, meant I will make a help who corresponds to him, suitable to him, who is equal to him, and supplies what he lacks, and he supplies what she lacks. But meet is a long way from help mate. 
So I wondered, is there an adequate phrase, is there an adequate term today that could fairly and accurately represent what God had in mind when he created woman? After all, women's identity is based on what we find out in Scripture, and often the names that we give to people are the way that they form their identity. Uh, names are important. Titles are important. And it's important that we be accurate with what the Hebrew Bible says. The problem is the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, is written thousands of years ago. So there's a gap of time between today, the 21st century, and two, three, four thousand years ago when the Hebrew Bible was penned. When this account was penned by Moses, what did he mean by this phrase, help meet? Or in Hebrew, ezer kenegno, ezer kenegdo. It's two phrases. Ezer is the one translated as help, and kenegdo is how uh, in English we come up with the word corresponding to, or beside him, or suitable to him. What does ezer mean? E-Z-E-R, or E-Z-E-R, is the word translated as help to describe a woman. What does that mean? Well, a canonical approach to understanding the Bible is a great way to find out what words really meant. Rather than going to a dictionary, we will look at how the Old Testament itself uses the word ezer. After all, if the writer in Genesis 2.18 and 20 used it in a certain way, then other authors of the Old Testament, also under in inspiration, would use the, way, the word in a similar way. And so I'd like to start just a brief little journey uh, on this particular topic to a place that's very familiar to all of us. 1 Samuel chapter 7 is where the word ezer is used. Same term used in Genesis 2, 18 and 20. The story that occurred in 1 Samuel 17 is the prophet Samuel was made aware that when his leaders gathered at Mizpah, all Israel's leaders had gathered together at Mizpah, the Israelite army found out where they were gathered and they set out to annihilate all of Israel's top leaders. That would have been a disaster. Samuel did not have time to call out the army, of which really there was very little. And it looked like the entire national leadership of Israel would have been decapitated right there. The Philistines were headed towards Mizpah, and it looked like certain defeat, certain annihilation for Israel. I mean, it was simply a matter of time before all the national leaders of Israel would have been killed and assassinated. So Samuel sent up a prayer. That prayer is recorded for Samuel chapter 7. And Samuel prayed, May he rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. And he sacrificed a lamb as a whole burnt offering and made his prayer. And in response, the text tells us that the Lord thundered against the Philistines and threw them into a panic, and they were routed. And as a result of that great intervention by God, Samuel set up a stone. And he called the stone Ebenezer, or Eben-Ezer. Same word used in Genesis 2.18, translated as help, back in Genesis 2. And so he set up this stone and he gave it a name. 
because that stone would commemorate this great victory against the Philistines where God actively intervened. And he named it Stone of Help. Ebenezer, Stone of Help. There's the word help. So God intervened actively in a time of desperate need. Now, when we think of the word help and what God did there at Mizpah, is that an adequate way to describe God's active rescue and deliverance of Israel's leaders? Does help, when you say the word help today, uh, he's my helper, he, she is my help, does active intervention and rescue and deliverance come to your mind? The term help, in my view, suggests an auxiliary function. A function that's not equal to the function of a superior person. But it's, it's second class. It's an auxiliary. It's not top. It's not equal. And as I thought about the use of Ezer in 1 Samuel 7, God actively intervening to destroy an enemy on behalf of Israel, I thought God was far more than a help. What happened at that battle? God didn't simply help. Well, he did, but that would be at minimum as to what he did. God actively intervened and rescued and delivered mortal enemies. Well, that's just one passage. Could we go further in the Old Testament and see additional uses of Ezer that shows the same thing, that shows a pattern? Not once, not twice, not three times, but over and over and over again, God himself is called Ezer, translated into English often as God is my help. Let's go through some examples. I'm going to give you six, six examples from the Old Testament. The first one is in Exodus 18, 46. God of my father was my help. He delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. So Moses here speaks of God as his help. Why? He delivered him from the sword of Pharaoh. It's a military context. And God is portrayed as actively intervening to destroy or to defend against a hostile enemy, the sword of Pharaoh. Does help adequately describe that? Does the word help that we use today adequately describe God's active intervention on the part of Israel and Moses to deliver them from Pharaoh? Well, before we conclude, let's go to another one. Deuteronomy 33:29. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help, the sword of your triumph. There's the phrase, the shield of your help, the sword of your triumph. Help, again, is the word ezer. The companion word for the word help is shield and sword and triumph. Those are the words used in context with Ezer. Same word used in Genesis 2.18 of the woman. So what word comes to your mind that describes God delivering Israel from Pharaoh and being the shield of their help? What word comes to your mind in our language that would be a more accurate portrayal of Ezer? Well, before you answer it, let's go now from the Pentateuch 
where the first word was used in Genesis 2.18. We went to Exodus, we went to Deuteronomy. Now let's jump outside of the Pentateuch and let's see if other portions of the Old Testament, such as the Psalms. Psalm 33, verse 20. Listen for the word, Ezer. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help. Ezer and our shield. There's that word shield again. Again, it's a military context. God is our Ezer. He is our help. And he is our shield, our protection. Yes, our protection against enemies, our protection against ammunition. In this case, from arrows and from lances and from stones. Let's go on. Psalm 70, verse 5. I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my help, Ezer, and my deliverer. So God is portrayed here for a person who's poor and needy as his help and his deliverer. Notice the companion word, deliverer, rescuer. The one who comes in and saves someone. The one who comes in and rescues someone. The one who comes in and delivers someone from danger, from need, from weakness. Now let's move to Psalm 115, where it's used three times. I'll just reference it once, but it's used three times in Psalm 115, verses 9 through 11. O Israel, trust in Yahweh. He is their help and shield. There's the two words used as companions. Help, shield. Someone in whom they trust. Someone that they lean on and can depend on to rescue them, to help them, protect them. Let's move just a few psalms later. Psalm 121 is the word ezer, or help, is used twice. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where does my help come from? Ezer, my help come from. My help, ezer, comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. What's significant about this is the word made is used in Genesis 2.18 and it's used here in Psalm 121, 1 and 2. In Psalm in Genesis 2.18, I will make a helper. And here that same word is used with I will make heaven and earth. To make something is to take something that already exists and then to shape it, to form it, to cast it or simply to give it new purpose. It's interesting that the two verbs are used to make the woman and to make heaven and earth. And in that verse, twice we heard that Israel's help is God who dwells on the mountain. My Ezer comes from the Lord. My help, my deliverance, my rescue comes from the one who made heaven and earth. So let's summarize what we've listened to here in Jewish scripture. God is portrayed and depicted explicitly as a deliverer and a rescuer for Israel in time of trouble, in times of weakness. It's also, the word also is used as a companion to the word, word shield, something that you use to protect against ammunition things that will harm you and wound you. 
So based on what we've read about God as Israel's help, Israel's shield, Israel's ezer, does the word that we use every day, help, accurately portray what we find in the text? Does help in English adequately convey the idea that the Hebrew writers meant to convey when God made the woman? What, what word is better? What word comes to your mind or to my mind that would adequately and accurately describe the, the role of the woman in the man's life? What I've surmised and concluded by way of definition is that Azair connotes active intervention on someone's behalf, especially in time of military context, in time of need. And perhaps uh, we want to think outside the box now. Rather than depending on traditional views of what ezer means, I would suggest that we search for a word that then we can use to describe and to view the women in our lives. Uh, we'll hold on to that thought for just a minute, but I would suggest that a word that we may consider um, is the word sustainer. And so if we translated Genesis 2.18, it would be, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a sustainer beside him. I will make a sustainer who corresponds to him equally. I will make a sustainer who is suitable him and stands beside him in an equal fashion. So the, the suggested word here is the word sustainer. And while I suggest that, there are, I think, inherent weaknesses in it. It's not perfect, but I believe that it's an improvement on the word help. So when God said it's bad for the man to be alone, it's not good. It's the only thing in the creation that's not good. He, in his divine intention, decided to make Someone who sustains the man, who comes to his rescue and delivers him from his incompleteness. He would stand beside him as his equal, fully equal, fully corresponding to him. And what he lacks, she supplies. And what she supplies, he lacks. Together, they become the image of God. Genesis 1, 26, 27, and 28. Now, we ought to take this thought for a minute and move it into our life. And I'm going to suggest that you ask this question. If we view women as a sustainer in a marriage, a sustainer to the husband and God's active sustenance, then how should women view themselves? What would we suggest to women when they think about who they are, their identity, who God has made them? What comes to your mind if that is what God has made, how should they view themselves <clears throat> under God? Should they view themselves as inferior? Should they view themselves as unequal? Should they view themselves as second class? That's a question I think that women ought to ask themselves. If God has made you a sustainer, then how should you view yourself? I won't go on in too much detail, but if God gave you the role of being a sustainer, that's a huge role. 
that's an important role. It's not a carpenter's help. It's not a plumber's help. <clears throat> it's not a mechanic's help. It's someone of equal value, equal status as the male, as the male counterpart. How should girls then, teenage girls, little girls, how should they view themselves? And related to that is how should a mother teach her daughters to view themselves? What would a mother want to do when she talks to her daughters about who she is and who God made her to be? What, do, what words come to your mind as a mother thinks about how to raise her daughter to understand her own self-worth and her dignity and her purpose in life that God has made? Another was how should men view women? How should men at work view their fellow employees who are women? How should men in the church view women? How should men in church leadership view women who are part of the congregation, who, whether they're wives or what have you? How should they view their own wives? What identity should they begin to view their wives with and other women in the church as? And what about an employer at work, a boss, a president of a corporation, the shop manager, the head doctor on the floor, how should he view the women who work for him, if they do? Or a, a fellow woman, if you have a woman employer and she has employees that are female, how should she view them in terms of their worth, their dignity, their equality, and their purpose in life? Um, these are daughters, excuse me, these are questions that probably should be asked and answered, perhaps even in a discussion format where there are males and females, where there are females ex having a Bible study, where females are getting together to understand who they are in God's plan. And perhaps the most important thing is if there are viewpoints within the church, especially where women are viewed as second-class citizens, as unequal and not intelligent and not smart, these, this identity of a woman ought to be entertained seriously and be given full discussion uh, because uh, the text seems to indicate that the word used to describe a woman is the word that God uses to describe himself. And he didn't do it once. He does it over and over and over and over again. And he is one who actively intervenes in times of desperate need. That's hardly an auxiliary function. <laughs> if God was assigned an auxiliary function in the life of Israel, Israel probably would not exist. But Israel flourished in times of faith because of the role that God played in their life. And the same can be true of a woman. A woman can save a man a lot of trouble. Can, a woman can save a man out of all kinds of trouble when he gets himself into it. So, so these are some beginning thoughts in my mind that we ought to be thinking about when we think about who is a woman and should she be called a helpmate. Well, uh, thanks for listening. I hope this will generate new thinking in your own mind as well as in the lives of uh, people that you know, a group, a church, a company, a family. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Thank you for joining us this episode, and remember to send all your questions to questionsforpastortim at gmail.com.